God always has a plan, but what if his plan includes adversity? The kind of adversity that stops you in your tracks. The kind that derails the train. Are you willing to be refined by God in those moments? Listen how Joseph reacts to his adversity with this next podcast in the Joseph series. You know, we never know that today might be an event that would happen that would change the rest of your life. There are times we look back and we look back at a a, a day that we got up in the morning, we thought it was going to just be a normal day and something happened that forever changed the trajectory of our future. I remember when I was a senior in high school, I had uh, applied for a scholarship to a college that I wanted to go to. I'd been wanting to go to it all my uh, teenage years and uh, looking forward to getting this scholarship. And then I didn't. And they says, no thanks, we're going to give it to somebody else. I was disheartened, but at the same time that that school turned me down for that scholarship, a school in a whole different part of the country offered me a scholarship, albeit smaller, I took it. And it was at that school that I developed an ongoing friendship with a young, with a young pal who, uh, when he got married, asked me if I would be in his wedding in Texas. It was at that wedding that I met Cindy, who became my wife. I know. I know. All I have to say is you just never know what God is doing, right? And sometimes it's the disappointments or or failures or adversity that, 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 that just moves our life into alignment with God's plan for our life. This summer, we're looking at the life of Joseph, and uh, he was sold by his brothers because they hated him. He spent 22 years in Egypt, away from his family, his father thinking he was dead. And during those years, Joseph spent a lot of time in jail because of a false accusation against him. And But now, in the, where we are in the story, chapter 45, we see that Joseph has been raised to the second highest position in Egypt, and he's manager over all of the food during a worldwide famine. His brothers, 22 years ago, had sold him into slavery, are now coming to him for food. They don't recognize Joseph, because he was just a teenager when they had sold him, but, but now the time has come in the story for Joseph to reveal who he is to his brothers. And as I read this passage in Genesis 45, you kind of have to uh, feel the room, if you will. 22 years of separation, the hatred of the brothers and the youth, the hard life of Joseph in Egypt, the fear of the brothers. They don't know who this guy is, but they know he has great power, and they're in the presence of this great ruler. In fact, they have been singled out to come in and eat with this great ruler. And, and they've been falsely accused of stealing. They don't know, maybe this is Judgment Day, and we, but we didn't do it. I don't know what's going to happen. There is a swirl of intrigue in the room. We read the first three verses of Genesis 45. It says this, 
Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? (laughs) I love this. His brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. I would think so. (laughs) Dun, 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 dun. Don't you wish you could have seen the faces of those guys? I am Joseph. (laughs) Maybe they look like this. (laughs) You think? Well, or maybe this one. Anybody like The Office? No, just, yeah. These perpetrators, they have been revealed, and and, and the gravity of all that has happened now hits them like a bolt of lightning. We sold him. He's in charge. They're stunned, shocked. The word is dismayed in the passage of Scripture. The word means to tremble inwardly. Have you ever trembled inwardly? It even means palpitate the heart. Their hearts are skipping beats at this point. Here's my point. Everyone will know the truth someday. Not only in this story, I believe that. Everybody is going to know one day that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Every, every knee is going to bow before him. Did you know that? Every knee. I think of all the people living today uh, in our world that uh, think Jesus isn't real. They think Christianity is a fraud. And so just imagine with me for a minute the rapture of the church. All of a sudden, the twinkling of an eye, what happens? Poof. Poof. Millions of human beings are gone without a trace. I often ask myself the question, how are the smart people going to explain that? (laughs) Well, actually, they're already setting the stage for it, I think. All this talk of aliens, UFOs, have you heard about that? They're having congressional hearings on UFOs and aliens. Really? I I think of all the people who grew up in church hearing about Jesus and salvation and the rapture and the second coming of Jesus, eternity, and decided, I I hear all that thing, but I want to live my life my way. I don't want to just follow what my parents said. I'm going to go out and live my life apart from God. I'm not even sure if it's true. And then the rapture happens. Their family is gone. Their parents are gone. Every Christian they ever knew is gone. Then it hits. 
all that I learned in church growing up, oh my, it's true. They're all gone and I'm not. Talk about inward trembling and palpitations of the heart. They realize that Jesus is exactly who the Bible says he is. And why was I so stubborn? Why didn't I believe the Bible says that life will be going on fairly normal? People are eating and drinking. It says giving and marriage. And uh, all of a sudden, it happens. It will catch the world by surprise. Now, I personally think the greatest turning to Christ in the history of the world will take place in the first 10 minutes after the rapture. Right? Because of all these people who know the truth but have refused to live that truth. But it'll be too late to escape the tribulation. Those who turn to Christ after the rapture will endure the tribulation. The worst days the world has ever seen. Make no mistake, a day is coming, and soon, I believe, when this will happen. Everyone will know that Jesus is who he said he was, the son of the living God, the savior of the world, and the only hope for mankind. Jesus has told his brothers who he is. They're gripped with fear, wondering, well, what's he going to do now? Is my head about to be chopped off? It's probably running through their mind. This is what happens. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. I'm not sure I would have obeyed that at that moment. And they came closer, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there's still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth, and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here for the third time, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and the ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. Skip down to verse 14. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. And he kissed all of his brothers and wept on them. And afterwards his brothers talked with him. Don't you love a nice ending to a story? 
After years of separation, suffering, adversity, Joseph comes back together with his family. And it is deeply emotional. Not only is it the reunion is emotional, but the unfolding of God's entire plan here has humbled Joseph to a point of tears. He sees God's hand in all that has happened. He sees it plain as day now. And he says it over and over, God did this, God sent me here, don't be upset with yourself. And we can conclude this point, God may use adversity to accomplish his plan, amen? You signing up for it? You see, Joseph was able to see the hand of God moving and working through the adversity he had suffered. He even tells his brothers, you didn't do this, God did this the suffering he endured, all parts of God's plan. In our modern ways of thinking, we must abandon the thinking that walking with God should be like a walk in the park. Joseph Joseph had to get to Egypt to be in place so God could use him to save the world, including his family, which was the family that brought forth Messiah Jesus centuries later. They had to be saved. So becoming a slave, leaving his family for many years, learning a foreign language, even being thrown into prison were all part of God's agenda to see his plan unfold, to save the remnant of Israel. So I ask you, I ask me, are you all in? I mean, are you all in not just for your life? Are you all in for the world? Are you willing to endure persecution, hardship, imprisonment, whatever it takes to be in God's place and God's time for your life? Now, it may turn out that your life is one happy time right up until the rapture and then you're gone. Wouldn't that be great? I'll vote for that. Amen? We don't know God's plan. We don't know how it's all going to unfold. We don't know how long we're going to be here. We don't know if persecution comes. We don't know. But now is the time where we say, I'm all in. I'm all in. Sometimes when I speak with people about the rapture, the second coming of Christ, the end of times, Christians, they just don't want to hear it. I mean, it's nobody in this church. It's, it's people that I talk to outside of this church. And, and they quickly push back. No one knows the day or hour. Be quiet. But what they're really saying is I have a hope, and my hope is that my life will continue the way it has been for the rest of my life. And I really don't want the interruption that the rapture will bring. Are you all in? <laughs> Another thing we, we, we learn from the story about adversity, God may use adversity to change you. To change you. We don't know a whole lot about Joseph in his teen years. 
Well, you get a glimpse uh, about what he was like as a teenager. He had a dream where one day his 11 brothers were going to go bow down to him. And it seems from the scripture that Joseph was somewhat anxious to let them know about this dream. In fact, there were two dreams saying the same things, and the passage says his brothers hated him because he kept telling him these dreams, where you all are going to bow down to me one day. But Joseph was his dad's favorite, so we get the impression his brother's hatred didn't bother him all that much. But something happens in Egypt because the Joseph that emerges is a man of integrity and honesty and compassion and tenderness and deeply emotional. God changed him through the pain. A couple of quotes, C.S. Lewis, I use it often. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Oswald Chambers, when God gets us alone through suffering, heartbreak, temptation, disappointment, sickness, or by thwarted friendship, when he gets us absolutely alone and we are totally speechless, unable to ask even one question, then he begins to teach us. We don't like to think this way, but adversity produces the greatest opportunities for spiritual advancement. For the conquering work of grace to so take root deeper and deeper. It's adversity that breaks us down to where we absolutely abandon self, self-effort. We break. And then he changes us. Isaiah 48.10, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I will act. For how can my name be profaned and my glory I will not give to another? God does the refining for his sake. Did you know today that God wants you all for himself? <laughs> he wants all of you. He doesn't want to compete with other idols in your life. He wants all of you, and he is perfectly willing to surgically remove everything else. Amen. That's good, isn't it? Sometimes I see people looking at me like this. Huh? Joseph tells his brothers, go get your father. Go get our father. There's still five years left of this famine. You're not going to make it in Canaan. You're going to be impoverished. You must come and live with me here in Egypt. He says, you're going to be provided the best land in which to live. Bring everyone. Bring your children, your children's children, which is your grandchildren, your cattle, your donkeys. Bring everybody. You're going to live in splendor with me. But it doesn't stop there. If he tells Pharaoh, I've been reconciled to my brothers. These guys are my brothers. He hears the story. He's just elated. Your family's my family. And he gets into this grace act. <laughs> Pharaoh, yes. He tells them not to concern themselves with their provisions. Take my wagons. And by the way, here's a bunch of clothes for the journey. 
And Joseph had things for them to take to, to dad. He loaded down 20 donkeys with supplies and food and grain. It was just over the top. And so I used the point last week, but it's still part of God's story, and it will be part of God's story for all eternity. And here it goes. Grace is lavishly abundant. It never runs out. You never have one sin where he goes, that's one too many, sorry. Do you realize today how much grace God has for you? He is an over-the-top God. You can sell him out. You can pretend he's dead, ignore him, tell others he's dead, pretend you never knew him. But in the moment when you see him, he just can't help himself. You're forgiven as if it never happened. You're my child. I'm so glad you're home. I mean, imagine being a dad and your son tells you one day, I'm leaving. And I'm not just leaving this house, I'm leaving you. All this stuff you've been teaching me all my life, I don't, I don't believe any of it. I want life on my terms. In fact, I want the money that you owe me as if you were dead. Because where I'm going, I need some party money. Your father's heart grieves because you love him so much. You know that nothing good's going to come out of this. And off he goes. So every day your father's heart takes you out to the road. You spend your time looking down that road, hoping this will be the day he returns. And then, then, then one day, there he is. But he looks totally different than when he left. Sin has weakened him. He's a pitiful sight to the human eye. But you, as a father, you, you see into his heart, his repentant, hungry heart. And he, he approaches and <laughs> he, he starts the apology tour. You know what I mean? He starts telling you about all the things he's sorry for and how he failed. And he's so upset with himself and... You're having none of it as the father, right? You're not wagging your finger at him, right? He's your boy. And he's home. That's all that matters. And so you, you just go over the top. You, you, you say... Shush on the apologies. Hey, guys, go get the best food in town and get lots of it. Go get decorations. Put them all over the place. And go, get, go, go, go to the jewelry store and get the most expensive ring you can find to put on this boy's finger. And while you're at it, get him some new clothes. The best, the most expensive you can find. Now, if you're the son who is returning and you see dad... Doing this, what are you thinking? Is he for real? This can't be real. You, you see this lavish outpouring of grace. Doesn't he know what I did? I, I actually took his money. I actually squandered all of his money. And now I've come home just, I look so terrible. I probably stink. I've been with those pigs, you remember? And I, I just... 
Oh, someday the shoe's going to drop. Someday. Yeah, he's, he's, he's happy I'm here now, but we're going to have a talk someday. That's only what would be right. There needs to be a day of reckoning, right? People find it hard to believe grace is true. It runs against every fiber in our bones. We understand that, right? There's nothing like it in the world. This story is about that too. There's a scene later in Joseph's life where his father Jacob has now died. The, the, chapter 50 records it all. And Jesus, I mean, Joseph takes the body of his father along with his brothers and they go up to Canaan where Jacob wanted to be buried and there's a big, long, elaborate explanation of the burial and all of that. And um, after he's buried, all the family gathered there in Canaan, they all make their way back to their new home there in Egypt. Jacob the father's gone, Joseph and his brothers. We read this in chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph. Get that? They're not even going to go talk to him saying, your father charged before he died, saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now, please, 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 please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. You know how many years they've lived together in Egypt at this point? Sixteen. Sixteen years they'd lived under grace, and now they're coming back and saying, oh, but now the shoe is going to drop. And what did it do to Joseph? He wept when they spoke to him. You really think my grace has been insufficient, don't you? It broke his heart. For him to hear that his brothers thought that his grace was conditional or temporary. To stave off punishment and injustice that one day had to be meted out. All this time, they, they, they saw the daily grace of their brother, the goodness of this new life. And, and yet, in the back of their mind, this, this, just, this is too good to be true. There's surely something coming. They keep on asking for forgiveness that's already been given. You don't do that, do you? What you did was so bad back there, you can't let it go. He's forgiven you the first time. You know that, right? Every time you bring it up, you have to retell the story because he's forgotten all about it. Some reason you want him to keep remembering. 
And I, 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 I see this all the time. Christians today believe that a day is coming when judgment has to be met for their wayward actions. Even though Jesus died for them, Jesus cleared the slate, Jesus made them white of snow, Jesus says, you're completely forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. Stop asking! And then they come across 2 Corinthians 5.10, and they go, see, there it is. I knew it. I'm going to have to give an account. I'm going to have to face the judgment justice requires. You want to know what 2 Corinthians 5.10 is, don't you? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for their deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Pum, 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 pum. The judgment seat of Christ is the Bema seat, which is the word for platform or raised floor. The word judgment here is the word Bema. The word judgment doesn't occur in the passage. It's just probably the best explanation in English. It's not the regular word for the kind of judgment where it's decided a verdict is rendered, which that Greek word is krisis. We see these bema platforms at athletic competitions. After the race has been run, the victors ascend to the platform where the presiding official sits, and a garland is placed on their head and a medal around their neck. It is a place of reward. At the bema seat of Christ, sin is not presented. Why? Because it's gone. It's been forgiven. It doesn't exist. Only the reward remains. There is not some divine scale, folks, weighing your good against your bad to determine your fate. This Bema seat of Christ is where the rewards are handed out. It even says in the verse that we will all be recompensed or compensated. Rewarded is what it means for how we allow Jesus to flow through our lives during our brief stay on planet Earth. More grace. It's like Jesus says, here, have some more. I saved you, and I'm going to reward you. Even though I did all the work, I'm going to reward you. So I ask the question, do you know this grace? That we talk about? You, you may have noticed in, over the last couple of months that uh, I bring up the rapture of the church quite often. Uh, I, I think, I know it's happening, and I think it's not too far off. I, I know people who've said that for centuries. I know people say, oh, they've been saying that for centuries, but uh, never do we see as we do today so many end times prophecies being fulfilled. Israel has been in their homeland now for 75 years. The technology is in place. The stage is set for the mark of the beast, the building of the third temple. The alliance against Israel has been formed. There's many, many other things. This is happening. I don't know if it's this year or next or the next year after that. I don't know if it's this month or next month. It could be. Are you ready is my question. Have you come to Jesus personally did you know that your attendance here today does not get you in?
Have you come to Jesus personally? Admit you can't save yourself, that you need him and his forgiveness. Have you believed in him? Believed that his death on the cross paid for your sins? Do you believe that he loves you today? Then receive this offer of new life, this offer of grace. It is for every one of you. And I encourage you not to put it off. We do hope that you've enjoyed this episode today. If you'd like to learn more about Grace Bible Church in Georgetown, Texas, please visit us at gbcgt.org. Many blessings from our church family to yours.